welcome. This podcast is hosted by Vera Bhava Yoga and explores our understanding of yoga and its relationship to resilience. If you like exploring with us, use coupon code PODCAST2022 at virabhavayoga.com to receive 15% off of all Virabhava products and programming. I am your host, Kelly Golden, and I'm a writer, a yoga teacher, a dedicated practitioner, exhaustive thinker, and the founder of Virabhava Yoga School. I've been practicing and studying yoga since 1995 and teaching since 2003. My primary focus is Sri Vidya Tantra and the ways that yoga can be directly applied to our lives in all situations. This season will continue to follow my exploration of just that, both my successes and my failures, as well as feature conversations with fellow practitioners, teachers, and humans living resilience as their yoga. Through contemplation, wondering, conversation, and experience, we will explore resilience as synonymous with the path and practice of yoga. Our conversations will unpack the points of crossover, the similarities of experience, and the ways that both practices support arriving whole and alive in the midst of wherever we find ourselves, be it hardship and challenge or joy and pleasure. Many of these conversations are hosted monthly as free live classes that also include an accompanying asana practice. Visit our website to learn more and to participate if you would like to explore studying with us more deeply. Check out our online Tantra yoga and meditation programs at virabhavayoga.com. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode two of the Yoga of Resilience podcast. In this episode, I reflect on the ways that we struggle with finding the safety to grow and change. Recognizing the many ways that I have changed my mind and my approach as a person, a practitioner, and a teacher in the last 20 years in the yoga industry, I get really curious about how these changes require a lot I poke at the idea that our beliefs and ideas are fixed and wonder about how we can bring our lessons forward so that we may grow and mature, creating more space for evolution and understanding. This one will stretch your comfort zone around failing, disappointment, and perfection. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, having room to grow and mature as a yoga teacher and a yoga student Um, and how easily we get stuck in these fixed ideas of who we are and um, or who we're supposed to be maybe and how limiting it can be when we get stuck in those um, sort of static places, when we drop anchor into an identity or an expression or an idea or a belief um, and how, how we can work with that in this industry that we're in that has a, gives a lot of lip service to growth, but maybe not a lot of space to grow. 
Um, so I wonder how we can push back against that a little bit and change it. So can we start with a little centering? Would that be down? Would you be down with that? Um, cool. I am going to ask you, if you're um, not driving, I see that Amber's in her car, but maybe she's not moving. <laughs> if you're moving in a vehicle, please don't close your eyes. If you're still enabled, you can close your eyes uh, and take a moment just to, to land where you are today. So depending where you are, it's coming to the culmination of our day. The sun is starting to fade away as early as it is. Or maybe you're still in the midday range of the world. Or maybe you're in the morning. Who knows? We have a New Zealander here. Kiwis. Who knows what time it is? So wherever you are, just take a moment to be there. And the where you are is most definitely here on a Zoom call where we're going to talk about some concepts and ideas and hopefully move our bodies in some really juicy ways. And it's also the space in which you find yourself. So it's the walls that surround you, the scent in the air, the light that penetrates through the thin skin of your eyelids. Where you are is also the beat of your heart in this moment, the rhythm of your in-breath and your out-breath. Even though Ram Dass made it sound really simple, just be here now, or John Kabat-Zinn, said that wherever you go, that's where you are. Even though it sounds simple, I want to I wanna bring uh, awareness to the fact that here, where we are now, is incredibly complex. Now includes everywhere you've ever been. Now includes absolutely everything that defines where you are in this moment now includes all of the potential that you contain within you. It's not a simple directive to be here now. It might not even feel like relief. And that's okay. So in this here, where you find yourself, I'm going to ask you to deepen your breath in this way. Without force, more with an inner awareness, I'd like for you to breathe in until you are full, until there is no more space in your body or your lungs or your mind for more in-breath. And then once you're full, I would like for you to breathe out until you're empty. So keep breathing out until you feel completely emptied of breath, of oxygen, of anything that lingers riding on the breath. And then just keep 
cycling the breath in that way. Breathe in until you're full. Almost like you're filling up a pitcher of water. And then breathe out until you're completely empty. Every last drop of breath has been released back into the space that defines your now and your here. And then do your best as you're breathing in until you're full and breathing out until, until you're empty to start to feel the breath on all dimensions of the body. So the front body, the side bodies, the back body, the low ribs expand. Maybe the pelvis widens on inhale. And then as you exhale, everything condenses back into your center. So as you're emptying, you're also condensing back into the the here and now that is you as you are. And as you breathe in until you're full, you're filling up all of this space, really touching in to the capacity that you have as a human in this planet, which sometimes, oftentimes feels really singular. As you empty and return the breath back to the air, start to sense that even in your singularity, you're a part of something different, of something more. That you are defined by so much complexity and that that complexity is not a curse. It's a beautiful gift that might suck. <laughs> Good, take just two more breaths in this way, breathing in until you're full. Maybe try to find places or spaces in the body that have yet to receive the fullness of your breath and see if you can expand into those places. And then breathing out until you're empty and trying to find the places and spaces that might still be holding stagnant or stuck energy or breath and see if you can release that any amount more. Good last breath in. And out. And then you can slowly start to come back to your space. So before you open your eyes, just become aware again of what is here and now for you. And then you can gently open your eyes and return awareness back into the space. And come back. Awesome, that was fun, hopefully. Um, there is a liberation in the here and now. Um, but I often think that the here and now is presented as a timelessness that disregards the there and then or what is to come. And though it's hard maybe to conceptualize, part of the work of Tantra is to be in the all of it. Right? There's a, a deity in the Tantric pantheon called Murugan. It's actually uh, Ganesha's brother. You guys know Ganesh? Uh, the elephant-headed god. Uh, the remover. 
of obstacles that he himself places so that he can enjoy the removal of them when you can figure out that. Uh, but Morgan is Ganesh's brother. Uh, Skanda is another one of his names. And part of what he represents, he's, he's very uh, a complex character, um, but part of what he represents is the ability to stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us as we move forward into a new and innovative future. Right? He represents that the link to the past um, that is helpful, that is educational, that is um, worthy of our respect, rather than the severing of what's come before to move forward. Right? And that's, that's a little bit of a, um, a bridge into what I want to talk about today, which is, um, you know, we just posted this question on Instagram, but does the current yoga culture give you room to grow? Um, I hope so, but I don't know. Does any part of our Western consumerist culture give us room to grow? Is growth actually a threat uh, to the culture as we, as we engage in it? And um, it's not a big secret, I, I don't think, but um, I'm in the, hopefully the final stages of writing a book. Uh, that should have been done a long, long time ago, but uh, life, the here and now happened. And um, one of the things I talk about in, in one of the chapters of the book is this idea that um, we are judged poorly if the ideas that we have, the values and beliefs and ideas that we have um, expressed as true to us, if those ideas change. We are judged poorly if we change our mind. Uh, several years ago, I think it was during the scary election, um, I was listening to an NPR report on um, politicians flip-flopping. That's what it's called, flip-flopping. In other words, changing their minds about ideas that they hold. Now, interestingly, from an intelligence point of view, from a sociological, psycho psychological, educational point of view, um, the ability to change your mind is a measurement of maturity. The ability to learn from your experiences and then apply those lessons so that you grow and evolve and change is a measure of maturation. Right. If you touch the hot stove and the stove is hot and you learn that hot hurts, you don't go back and touch the hot stove again and again and again. Right. And that's a level of, of um, cognitive maturity. Yet somehow in our interesting place, we find ourselves in the world. We have also deemed that ability to grow from what we learn as a negative personality trait. And somewhere along the way, somebody said, if you can't get it right the first time, and if you can't be perfect the first time, then you shouldn't even waste your time. Now, I'm not sure that anybody told you that. 
or whether it's just part of the collective consciousness of Western dominant North America. But we're all pretty bought into this idea, right? Think about going out and teaching your first yoga class. How much space and allowance do you give yourself for making mistakes? How much space and allowance do you give yourself for being wrong? Right? Think about even getting yourself to your first yoga class. Do you remember how hard that was? It's hard for me to remember. It was a long, long time ago. It potentially was before some of you guys were born that I went to my first yoga class. But it was hard to get there because I had all of these preconceived judgments about um, who I was supposed to be. And it was breaking the mold for me. Right? The interesting thing is to get things wrong is how we grow. To fail is how we learn. We rarely learn by receiving all of the information and getting everything right and doing everything right. There's not a lot of lesson in the perfection. There might be a lot of performance, but have you noticed, and I know some of you on this call, so let's get real. Um, have you noticed how perfectly you've done things and how yet even when you do them perfectly, you still feel inadequate inside? Damn it. If you're doing everything perfectly and still it's not making you feel perfect, is the striving for perfection going to mature us in such a way that we hold space for the truth of the here and now? Right. So are we giving ourselves room to grow? That's the question that's in me right now. Is yoga supporting or is it hampering our ability to grow and evolve? So here's my story. In case you haven't read the blog post, it's probably much better articulated uh, in the written word. But here we go. Uh, I was doing what I do as part of work and scrolling through social media and scrolled past a former student of mine's Instagram account from, and she was a student many years ago, like maybe a decade and a half ago. And in her post, she wrote something about a bogus claim that one of her very influential and past yoga teachers made. And though she, no, no names were called, I knew that's what I was teaching 15 years ago. And fast forward to 2021, I think that is pretty much total bullshit, what I was teaching 15 years ago. Now, does that mean I shouldn't have been teaching it 15 years ago? This is the, this is the uh, snowball of contemplation that started rolling around in my head. Did I make a mistake teaching these concepts at that time? Right. I have a I have a teacher friend who says um, you don't know more until you don't know less. Right. So you teach what you know until you know better. But you can't go backwards in time and be like, hey, guys, I don't think any of that stuff I told you is is accurate. Right. And instead, the challenge I bring forth is 
Instead, what you can do is see that there's truth in everything. Even in the stuff that you hate, there's a, there's a kernel of truth in everything because if it's true, as Tantra says, that divinity is the totality of all things, then there's truth in everything, even and maybe most especially in the stuff that you really don't like. And the truth doesn't have to feel good. Are we clear on this? Um, I, I spend a lot of time in deep contemplation around the nature of this complexity. More time than any normal person should spend, most likely. And what I recognize is we're really down with divinity being, divinity being the totality of all things that are good and make us feel comfortable and make us feel happy and right, love and light, love and light. We're super down with that. But when we have to start leaning into the totality of divinity being things that we don't like or things that make us feel ashamed or things that make us feel incredibly uncomfortable, we don't like to think of divinity that way. So instead, we have a tendency to sort of lob it off and categorize it as um, judgment. So I'm curious, if we didn't lob it off and we kept it all, if there was a whole experience, if the things that we didn't know in the past or the things that we idealized in the past that now we know better, if we didn't have to um, amputate it, right? Um, maybe this doesn't happen to you anymore. I know when I was younger, I definitely did this, but I would lay in bed. I hear my kids talking about it. I have teenagers. I would lay in bed at night and I would sort of run through sort of almost ridiculous scenarios from my past where I could have said something better, or I shouldn't have said that, or I embarrassed myself in this way, or um, I didn't show up at my best. And I would sort of self-chastise, right? Maybe we still do this. So I'm wondering what it would be like if we allowed space for that past person, whether they were idealistic or whether they were ignorant or whether they were um, embarrassingly naive, if we let that past person be a part of the whole of who we are, rather than trying to um, get around that person or be better than that person or improve upon that person, if that part of us from the past could stay with us in the here and now, would we find a more full, mature expression of ourselves in the world? And then, even greater than that, would we find more and more space for everyone to be a part of the whole? Because the people that bother us <laughs> are often the people that are reflecting those parts of ourselves that we really don't like. Right? So not to get too complex on that. Um, at the time I was teaching these highly idealized teachings, and, and they're in the yogic texts, absolutely. I think that they're proof texted. You guys know about proof texting? 
it's done a lot in organized religion where they pick a piece of the of the primary text of the religion and then they use it to prove everything they want to prove. Right? That happens in yoga too, y'all. You know this? <laughs> there's proof texting in yoga all the time. Right? So there's there's parts of, of the yoga uh, texts, like the classical texts and the tantric texts that say, um, perfect yourself. But it also says perfect the self within the context of the recognition that the self is an integral and complex piece of the whole. And that the whole is already perfect. Right? Does that make sense? So it's not saying be better. It's saying be you. The teaching on orienting yourself towards the highest good is saying orienting yourself towards the you that you actually are rather than the you that you're striving to be. I know it's hard. It's hard. It's like a, it's, it cracks your mind because we're raised in a culture that says you're not good enough for whatever reason. And the improvement and the product is the only way to gain love and respect and care, right? So we are taught to improve the product rather than to land in the truth that we're already enough. And then we get really bound into this idea of not enoughness to the point that we feel ashamed of it and want to hide from our not enoughness. Right? Is this, does this resonate with you? Are you with me? All right. We can't grow and mature until we can accept that none of us are enough. That's why we're all in it together. We're completely enough to be who we are and we need each other. Because no one can be everything, and that is not the design. You are not built to be everything. You are built to be the beautiful and wonderful and all fucked up anything that you are. You are built to be the complexity of the here and now engaging with everyone else's complexity in any given moment. Perfection was the cell that allowed us to have, to be powered over. Yeah? And when we can let go of the idea that perfection is maturity, that if we keep working hard enough and get better and better and better, then we'll be that perfect grown-up that we've always wanted to be. And we can just start being who we are, then we can allow... For all of the mistakes of the past, being the quality of the lessons that we bring forward. Right? So when we make mistakes in the past and can't tolerate to look at them or evaluate them or laugh at ourselves or um, even critique ourselves, and instead we want to pretend like those mistakes never happened and we want to hide from them, that is us existing in an immature, perfection-oriented existence 
when we can allow for all of those mistakes, when we can walk into a room and be like, I may get this right, but I may mess it up. Then we're moving into allowance and something that's more akin to maturity, right? So is there space for maturation and growth in yoga? Can teachers and students grow and evolve? Is being wrong really wrong? My experience as I've walked this yoga path for a long time now is being wrong was a stepping stone. There is no universal right. According to Tantra, everything's right. So the allowance of the wrong is part of the recognition of what's right. Now, there's definitely wrong for you if we're working from that space of maturity of the recognition that you are not supposed to be everything and that not everything is supposed to be positive and not everything is supposed to have the outcome you desire that sorry to burst your bubble collectively but that you're just not so important that everything is supposed to go your way but you are so important that however it's going you're supposed to be there and you're supposed to show up for it. And you're supposed to experience it. And when we can let go of the need for things going our way, and we can allow for the experience itself to actually be what's happening rather than us feeling bad that the experience is happening. I can't believe this is happening to me is the striving for perfection. Right? Whoa, this is happening. How am I going to show up for it? What am I going to do with it? How am I going to be here? That's maturity. Are you with me? If you, if you haven't had an experience of the difference, I encourage you, if not to have your own children, to go spend some like lockdown time with some children. Where you can't get away, where you can't like hand the child back over to its caregiver. Just put yourself in the position of being with a child for an extended period of time and you'll learn the difference between my way and just away. Right? Because little kids do not care about your way. They're going to do it their way. And what ensues when your way, guided from that need for things to be right or for you not to be wrong, when your way superimposes over their way is a power struggle. Um, there's a, t two places in my house, there's a, a piece of paper that's stuck. Uh, one's over the kitchen sink and one's over the bathroom sink. It says, my way is just a way. There are many ways to do everything. My way is just a way. It's not the way. Right? And, if you, and then it says, because I, I live with Aquarians, and then it says, if you don't like it my way, do it yourself. <laughs> right? So the, the idea is you can do everything 
in innumerable ways. Whomever has led you down the path of the right way versus the wrong way, I would encourage you to ask questions of that part of yourself. Who gave you all the authority to tell me this is right and that's wrong? How do you know this is right and that's wrong? Because if you dared let yourself be wrong from time to time, you might learn something. You might learn the lessons that you're trying so hard to avoid by trying to get it right all the time. Yeah, you with me? Growth and maturity requires being wrong. Just like resilience requires stress and discomfort, growth and maturity requires being wrong. It's the ultimate humbling. You want to be humbled in the highest way? Humiliate yourself and own it. Don't try to hide from it. Don't try to avoid it. Uh, uh, There's a a Christian mystic that I, I adore, Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr. And he says, I pray for one humiliation a day. You can't get the humility You can't get humble by getting things right all the time or by pretending you're getting things right all the time, right? And I would say that humility is maybe one of the highest levels of maturity. Um, Because we cannot grow from striving for perfection, we can only grow from... Uh, getting things wrong, and then learning our lessons. The striving for perfection keeps us collectively, societally, in in a weirdly immature state. We find that when we try to have interpersonal relationships, they're based on power struggles of perfection. I'm right, you're wrong. Rather than spaces of acknowledging, here's where I was wrong. Here's where you were right. Right? That's maturity. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, I follow someone on social media, um, a, a woman of color, amazing, uh, she's a British woman, amazing woman, has had so much to say in the last year and a half about what's going on in the world. And recently she just posted something uh, that led with, I think I might have been wrong. You want to talk about the most mature thing you can say? Say, I think I might have been wrong. Rather than um, garnering all of the proof that you're right, say, I think I might have been wrong. Imagine how our politics, how our, the state of our world would change if we would allow for wrong. Admission. Growth. Right? Um, We can't mind lessons from perfection. We have to make mistakes to get lessons. And then we make this choice. Am I going to bring my lessons forward? Everyone is always learning regardless. I mean, I hope everyone is always learning, but everyone is always making mistakes regardless of how high up they are. So I um, 
am no longer in the system of yoga that I studied for 15 years. I withdrew my certification in that system back in 2019. But recently that teacher fell from grace. That teacher who expressed and expounded upon perfection and transcendence and just getting things right enough got things really wrong. And then there's a whole slew of people that are heartbroken because he was wrong. And what I want to offer is like, if you can just be wrong, you, you don't have to be so heartbroken. If you cannot hang your hat on the one perfect one to lead you into your own perfection and instead settle into, you know, the cozy beanbag of your own, um, I don't know not faultlessness (laughs) like you have all kinds of opportunity to grow now we can't get in a time machine and go back and we can't change what we've said so what does it look like to stand on the shoulders of that past self that maybe you're laying in bed at night and grumbling about and wishing you could have done it differently let me just offer a perspective shift when those things come into your awareness those things that you regret, those things that you wish you'd have done differently. Instead, can you find the thing to stand on? Maybe it's the intention behind it, even if you didn't say it perfectly. Maybe it's the experience that you gained from saying it imperfectly. Maybe it's the hope that things were going to change. Whatever it is, can you, can you mine those discomforts for a lesson? Rather than try to eject them completely from your experience, can you hold them in the space of learning? That's what Tantra is all about. And what that will also protect you from... (coughs) Hi, Linda. There's Linda's face. What that will also protect you from is having undue expectations of anyone saving you. Because what you will start to learn is everybody's wrong. Everybody's imperfect. Everybody is a human with all the complexities of their past, with all the complexities of the fear and hopes of their future, with all the complexities of the now. Everyone is holding that. And instead of looking towards anyone having all the answers, instead what will emerge from that realization is the compassion that we're all in this together. And it's hard. And that allowance, we're all in this together and it's hard, that is where we start to grow into more mature versions of our human selves. Right? We stop expecting somebody to save us. We stop expecting somebody to have all the answers. We stop expecting yoga to change our lives. And then in the course of that, you know what happens? When you stop expecting everything to be perfect or everything to be better, things start to get better. They don't necessarily get good, but they get better. maturation is the realization that nothing will save you. Nothing. Capital N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing will save you. 
You want to live a mature life. You walk around the world with the recognition that there is no crystal. There is no chakra. There is no uh, meditation. There is no asana that's going to save you. There is no lover, there is no friend, there is no teacher that's going to save you. Sorry if you're rooted down in salvation. It's part of the difficulty that keeps us in an immature state when we perceive that something or someone will save us. What if, this is a radical slap in the face, to the Western world, what if salvation isn't even the point? How often does the desire to be saved take you out of the complexity of the here and now? How often does the thought that we can do more to get more right take us out of being in the truth of exactly where we are? There comes points in time where you can't get out of where you are. And we have choices to make at that point. When you can't get out of where you are, you either acquiesce to it, you surrender to the truth of where you are, and start living from that place, or you continue to try to get out of it and deny the truth of where you are. right? That, that pivot point, that crossroads is the, is the movement towards maturity. It is the growth. When you say, this is where I am and I am going to live here. Now, what am I going to do about it? As opposed to, I shouldn't be here or I don't want to be here or this isn't fair. Like this is where I am. No one, you are not entitled for things to go well. You are not entitled for things to go right. You are not entitled for things to be good. You are not entitled to get what you want. You're not even entitled to wake up and take a breath. Every single one of those things when they happen is a gift. It's not your right. It's a gift. What are you doing with the gift of taking a breath? What are you doing with the gift of getting something that you've worked hard for? What are you doing with the gift of the mess that might be your life on any given day? Are you showing up and you, are you living it? Or are you trying to change it and make it something different? Right? Nothing will save you, not because you aren't worthy or good enough, but because you don't need to be rescued. You are here and now to live life as it is. Ultimately, that's what Tantra teaches. Not, your life is not broken. Your life is your life. How are you going to live it? Or are you going to choose not to, right? There's a big difference between living and being alive. What choice are you making? That's, the, that's the, maybe the hardest 
route of Tantra is that you recognize that how you show up in any given moment is a choice. It's your choice. And you're making it. And how you make that choice is impacting how you're engaging with the whole all the time. Even when you think it has nothing to do with anything but you, it's having an impact. Right? Maturation is the willingness to be wrong as a path (laughs) of learning. That path of learning will lead you towards growth. Allowing ourselves to be shaped and changed by our experiences, even and especially when they are uncomfortable, hard, and emerge as what is real rather than what you think you should be. So if you're coming out of a difficult time and you're a mess, be a mess. But can you be a mess not for anyone else but yourself? Right? We are polished to our essence by our lives as they are. So I have a teacher once that said the whole point of being alive is to polish the stone of who you are. Have you ever found a gemstone in the wild and it looks like a rock? My partner's a geologist. So I had no idea how many rocks were actually beautiful. I love rocks just in general. Don't get me wrong. But some, there's some rocks that if you polish them, they shine. They're beautiful colors. They're gems. Right? One of my teachers said once, we're all that. And the work of life is to polish that stone. We have two choices, probably way more than that, but it's coming to the end of my hour, so I'm going to narrow it down to two. We can either resist, control, and refuse to be polished by life, ultimately taking ourselves out of the situations that we find ourselves in, or we can surrender, accept, and allow where we find ourselves in our life and let life polish us. And the outcome of that polishing is that we shine, that we respond resiliently. Not that we are worry-free or trouble-free or difficulty-free or pain-free, but that we are buoyant, that we respond from a place of compassion and empathy and love. That's maturity. I closed that blog post by saying, I'm so glad that I got that teaching, that I was so off with what I told that student 15 years ago. Because in being off, she did the work to find the truth for herself. Had I been right, she would have thought that I had all the answers. But instead I was wrong. I do believe there's a kernel of truth in what I said. But ultimately, I was wrong. And in order for her to become full in herself, she had to find what was right for her by pushing against what I said. When you go out into the world and you teach what you know in any given moment, it's probably going to be wrong in a year or five years or 10 years. And that's okay. If you are in integrity with yourself in this moment, speak your truth. Don't wait until perfection lands upon you. It is not ever going to happen. And it's not fair. 
It's not fair to the people that you share with. It's not fair to the people that you engage with to hold back your heart waiting to be perfect. Instead, go into a space and say, I am human and I am fallible and I'm all fucked up and I am still here. Brave enough, courageous enough to share. I'm doing the work in the middle of the mess. I'm not waiting for my life to get perfect to do it. Right? Growth often comes in perspective, in review. There's a, a, a teaching that I heard a monk say once that said, you only see God at his back. You only see divinity when, they're, when it's walking away. It's really challenging to see divinity in the moment. So instead, see the mess and know that that's what you're supposed to show up for. Trust that the light of that will shine through when you're ready to see it. Right? <sighs> I'm almost done. Five minutes. It's about the time to hand it over. I know it's hard, but I'm going to challenge you. Admitting that we might not have had it all figured out back then is the hardest and most humbling endeavor. But we don't have to beat ourselves up about it. Rather, mine the lessons. Use your past experience as the foundation on which you stand to stretch forward. Right? Be compassionate to who you were back then and it will make you so much more compassionate to where everyone else is right now. See the truth in the past and then stand on it. If you were a silly, naive, uh, goofy, socially awkward person yesterday or 10 years ago, Awesome. Do you know how many silly, goofy, socially awkward people exist right now in the world today that could use that kind of understanding? Whose heart you would crack open if you admitted that part of yourself that you feel shame about? It would be so comforting to so many people. Don't wait to practice or share until you know everything. You will never know everything. If you are truly a skillful student and teacher, you will always be learning, revising, and refining. I dare you to take the risk to be wrong. And when others call you out, don't take it personally. Find the truth in it. Be grateful that someone helped you to see you still have room to grow. This podcast is only a fraction of what we do at Virabhava Yoga. To learn more about our live classes, workshops, online tantric meditation, and yoga trainings, visit our website, www.virabhavayoga.com, or follow us on Instagram at Yoga. You can also register to attend these conversations live and download the associated asana classes by visiting virabhavayoga.com backslash podcast. Don't forget to use code PODCAST2022 to save 15% off of anything on our website. May these conversations inspire you to explore yoga as resilience in your life. Thanks for listening.